Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris going back just over 35 years to 1988 when we cover Iron Maiden's Seventh Son of a Seventh Son album. I've been looking forward to this for a while. How are you, my friend? Uh, very good. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is going to be fun. Uh, another another in our uh, series of Iron Maiden episodes. This one uh, is a request coming to us from uh, one of our patrons, Brian Hewler. So we thank Brian for his request. And um, this is it's it's funny because um, you know I had spoken about we we've done um, uh, two Iron Maiden albums so far. Um, our previous episode was um, Power Slave, and our the first Iron Maiden episode we did was on Killers. Um, so kind of bouncing around uh, the the, um, the discography, but um, one of the things that I always said uh, with those two episodes was that I was really happy to learn more of the deeper uh, Iron Maiden cuts because I've always been kind of woefully uh, inept about you know, everything beyond like Iron Maiden's top, uh, like 30, 30 or 35 songs. Yet we come to this album and it turns out that I know the entire album sends one song. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe not the best example of, yeah, this is, I don't think I ever realized it, but this has to be my most like, um, well-known album, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. The, the album of, of, of which I know the most songs from, uh, by the band, um, outside of like the newer albums that I probably just, uh, listened to start to finish when they came out in the, in the late, in the more recent years. But, um, I just thought that was kind of funny. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it, uh, even still, and just, uh, curious to see, um, where it ranks, for both of us compared to the uh, previous two albums that we've discussed. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure that won't be the last uh, by any means. But that being said, before before we go back in the time capsule, I want to just mention a couple of things that I was listening to this week. The first of which I want to thank you for. You had sent me some files by a band called Lame Genie, which is, as you can probably guess, a uh, video games cover band. Uh, they're out of Rhode Island. This was a complete surprise, but it's kind of, they do these songs in like a metal style. Um, before I even mention anything else about this band, where did you find this stuff? Um, where did, I can't remember. It was either like a well-placed Facebook ad or, or like a promotion, or I just, I, I came across it on YouTube, but, um, I forgot what the song was, but I was just like, well, this is interesting. So I, I went and looked and sure enough, like their most of their discography is available on Bandcamp for, for free. If you, um, you know, you could give them money if you want, but like, they're not asking for anything. So um, I went and downloaded their entire discography and like, they do some deeper cuts of game of game covers, uh, which I really enjoy. Some of these um, video game cover bands kind of stick to the tried and true Zelda, Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger type stuff. So I enjoy when um, when these bands kind of dig a little bit deeper, and and you know you get like uh, I, just as a little uh, preview, um, I have one of their tracks is going to be on my next uh, playlist. Um, it's a uh, cover of Dave's theme from Maniac Mansion, which I think is uh, one of the best soundtracks from the NES era. Uh, so 
something to look forward to there. But uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it because that's you know that kind of stuff. You know me, I I eat that stuff up. Well, it was it, it put a smile on my face. I I also enjoyed the deeper cuts. Not the only thing I listened to this week. I listened to uh, an album which was uh, getting a lot of negative press in many ways, and I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure why. And I, I admit that I'm by no means the the authority on on black metal, but I listened to the new Immortal album, War Against All. I liked it. I thought it was actually really well done. I thought it was quote unquote catchy for a black metal album i thought it didn't lack any melodies uh you know it was just an easy listen as far as that genre goes but a lot of people have not been saying the kindest thing so i think i might be in the minority there and i just started listening to another album which i heard and i immediately thought of you um epic power metal from what can only be described as one of the hotbeds of, of power metal, and that's Salt Lake City, Utah. The band is called Prydane. The album is called The Gates of Aramore. Um, they they call themselves, uh, or they say they are inspired by Ed Guy, Hammerfall, and Blind Guardian. So they've already got my attention there. But then I, I kind of looked at who was in this band, and I was kind of surprised. Uh the, the the main singer, or I should say the main songwriter, is guitar player Austin Dixon, but he's joined by Bob Katzianis from Firewind and Jonah Widegarden from um, uh, Pyramids, which was awesome in and of itself. But there's guest appearances by Jens Ludwig and other musicians that you've probably heard of as well. So I, I checked this out and I immediately thought of you. It's It's power metal and it's right up your alley. I, I believe he prefers to be referred to as a uh, metal exchange alumnus. Uh, yes, Jens Ludwig, that's right. Yeah, so. That's right. My, my, my apologies. My apologies. Um, so that was another thing I listened to this week, uh, kind of all over the map, power metal, game metal, black metal. Um, but that's, that's where we're at. And, and of course, a lot of Iron Maiden to boot. Um, did you, um, did you get a chance to listen to the new, uh, Soen single? Uh, cause I got it, but haven't listened to it yet. I have not curious. listened to it yet. Um, I'm curious to hear it. I, I haven't gotten it to it yet. Um, I heard – actually, I sh- you know what? I stand corrected. I actually did listen to it. I listened to it once. I didn't have a chance to listen to it a second time. What I thought was interesting about it, now that I reflect a little bit deeply, it sounded a little bit more happy than some of their older material. It, ha- it sounded brighter, um, not quite as – somber and dark so I, I thought that was interesting i don't know if they're changing their direction just a touch but it, it certainly had the the core sewing sound no no question about that yeah i'm looking forward to hearing it, it sounds like um they have a a new album uh on the horizon that i think is going to be uh out within the next few months i would i would think i would think so and i i look forward to that as well so yeah lot, the track lots- is called uh unbreakable if anybody wants to give it a listen i will make a point of posting it this week um if i haven't already so that's that's cool talk to me about this album did you did you the iron maiden album seven sun obviously did you not realize that you knew as much as you did or was it one of those things where you just kind of knew the songs but wasn't sure what album they were from uh i kind of both i guess (laughs) um like you know um moonchild i I remember from the first time I saw Iron Maiden live, they were um, they were recreating. Do you remember which tour they were recreating when we went? We saw them at um, 
at Continental Airlines. Well, when Um, we saw them at that show, I think they were doing the live after death stuff. I don't remember them playing Moonchild. It might have been the second time you saw them. Uh, The second time I saw them was the Made in England. England That was was Moonchild. Okay. They definitely played Seventh Son um, during that tour because i remember a lot of people going to the bathroom uh, during that <laughs> one because it was a, a longer tune so that um, was Ju- that was um summer of 2012 and and i remember that because i'll just interject a story here i had tickets to go to that show at jones beach on long island with our mutual friend brian and i always tell this story in our kind of inner circle um a little bit before showtime i'm shooting him a text i'm like hey bud you know just at the seats i'm waiting for you Long story short, after many, many texts and phone calls, he forgot that there was an Iron Maiden show that night, and he swears he came. But I'm telling you, he just completely punted on it. I had the seat next to me empty. So, well, you know, I guess minds can differ, but I remember this show for that reason and the fact that they played a lot of songs from Seventh Son uh, on that tour. In fact, they played five of the eight songs from that um from that album on this tour. And this was one of the more memorable shows by them. I just thought the set list was great. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. That story never ceases to, to entertain. Um, so yeah. Um, then, you know, there's a hint, at least three songs on this album, uh, were on the best of the beast, which was my, technically my first Iron Maiden CD. Um, and, and uh, you know what? I'll wait until we get to the rest uh, to kind of go into um, how I know each song. But um, at the end of the day, like the prophecy was the only song that I was not familiar with. Um, interesting. Yeah, and uh, which which was like kind of kind of interesting because I'm like, oh, is this going to be like my least favorite song on the album because I don't know it or whatever. Um, I have it, strong that, thoughts about that song, but I'll, we'll get there. It was interesting to just like look, th- look through the list and be like, wow, I really do know through one way or another, uh, seven out of these, these eight songs, which I think for an Iron Maiden album, that percentage is probably unprecedented for me. So, um, I didn't learn a lot, but, uh, I definitely listened to a few of these songs more this week than I probably ever have. Um, in cer- for certain songs, but um, yeah, this was a really good choice. Uh, would you say that uh, this is uh, what a lot of um, or, or a decent number of the fan base consider their favorite Iron Maiden album? One of the, the the choices. I think it's a polarizing question. I think that if depending on who you ask, you might get five or six different answers. But I think that this is always in the conversation. Um. I oscillate. I go back and forth. It's it's not my favorite, but it's probably second or third, depending on how I feel. Um, that's not to say that there's not complete 10 out of 10 gems songs on, on some of these other albums, but it is definitely in the top three for me. I also think it's one of their most balanced albums, with the exception of one song, which I'll get to. It's a really solid 43 minutes of music. And, and just by way of you know, kind of introduction, comes out April 11th, 1988. Uh, This was back in the day where they would record an album in February and March and the album would be released a month later. You know, it's unheard of by today's standards. Uh, Obviously, you know, going back 35 years, we're talking about the absolute classic Iron Maiden album, you know, uh, lineup, Bruce Dickinson, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith on guitars, Steve Harris on bass, and uh, obviously Nico McBrain on, dr- uh, on drums. This is 
for my money, when they really were kind of in that, the end of them hitting their groove. I think it started arguably with Killers, but definitely with Number of the Beast. And then from there to Power Slave, or I should say to Peace of Mind, to Power Slave, they were just on this groove. And this was kind of like the fifth of the Bruce albums, their seventh overall, where they just really hit the mark. Okay, that's good. I, I'm I'm still learning. Um, I, I I'm looking forward to um, talking about uh, both Peace of Mind and Somewhere in Time because those are two albums where I um, <clears throat> there's some songs that I don't know as well as I should, and and there there's some uh, there's some some learning to, to be done. Um, to say nothing of the modern era, which we haven't even touched yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and then our inevitable. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll be doing our, our Blaze Bailey uh, tribute episode <laughs> where we discuss the the X Factor and Virtual Eleven, of which I believe I know uh, about three songs from both <laughs> albums combined. Ironically, though, and I'm just going to shoehorn this in, I would argue that one of the best songs they played on the last tour that we saw them on was The Klansman. I thought it was awesome. Well, then there, there you go. Yeah, um, so go, go figure. But there, I, there's I some good stuff. I mean, the songs I know, I... I, I like quite a bit like um you know man on the edge and uh sign of the cross there's there's some there's some good tunes it's just uh like a lot of bands that replaced an iconic singer you kind of have to get past the fact that it's not bruce dickinson and um i think if if you can make peace with that um peace of mind if you will <laughs> uh it, it's not it, it's the, there's still some good music to be had I, I can't speak for the albums on a whole and i wonder if there really are some like real dud songs um but uh i'd be curious my, my first full-length iron maiden album that i purchased was actually brave new world after it was released in 2000 so i i've kind of always just been all over the place when it comes to this band well i'm sure we'll get to the others but in the interest of time let's not do them all today let's start with seventh sun um you know, as I said, th- this is an album I knew exceptionally well. I probably could have recorded the episode without even listening to it just because I've played this album so much and it holds such a high place for me. And here's what Brian had to say about his uh, request here. This was the first Iron Maiden album I ever heard and owned. I borrowed it from a friend my freshman year of high school. I was instantly hooked. From that point on, Maiden was my favorite band and they opened up so many other avenues of metal to me. To this day, this is my favorite Maiden album, and it is their best work, in my opinion. Every song is a masterpiece. The melodies and lyrics stick in your head. This album perfected what they started with Somewhere in Time, taking it to the next level. I just wish they had stuck with this sound a little longer. My favorite song on this one is Infinite Dreams. So, again, we thank uh, Brian Hewler for his request. Thank you, Brian. Talk to me about Moonchild, because this thing kind of kicks off with a track that is... Uh, I guess in the vein of just their typical upbeat, you know, Iron Maiden style where they just uh, – a memorable opener to say the least. I wouldn't say it's their best. I, I think that Ace's High is a shade be- – well, maybe a couple of shades better than this song. But there's a different feel on this track probably because of the use of those like – almost electronic sound effects that are on this, which is just a little bit different from that power sleeve sound. Um, but certainly upbeat, anthemic, and, and, and an emphasis on, on the melody, which is just unparalleled. Uh, yeah, one of the interesting things I read about this is that um, it's the first Iron Maiden album to feature 
keyboards. Yep. Uh, the band had introduced non-keyboard synth effects on Somewhere in Time uh, two years prior. Um, but uh, it's noticeable. I mean, it, it's it almost kind of reminded me of um, when Van Halen released 1984 and all of a sudden Eddie was like in love with with key keyboards and synth sounds and like it really, um, you know, with, with, um, jump and I'll wait, like some of those songs, like really showcased, um, more keys, which I think is, is kind of, a a, a I would say, a, a um, a staple of the eighties really is just that keyboards were just, um, the whole new wave era and everything. I think that they were kind of, um, shoehorned into a lot of different, uh, type of bands, sound even if it wasn't something they had done before i think it really works um the the real kind of spacey kind of uh like key intro to the song really it gets it going man i i remember liking this song but the song's even better than i remember in all honesty um i i really like the song a lot and i think it's a really really great way to to kick the album off with just a really high energy and just like you said it's just a really um classic sounding Iron Maiden song, but I, I think that it would probably be considered like in the second tier of their, like what's considered their greatest hits. I, I don't know what you'd want to call like radio hits really with a band like Iron Maiden, but like, I don't believe it was on their first like greatest hits album or anything like that. But um, I could see it like being on, like if there was like a double disc, you know, or whatever, like it's kind of like a, a that second tier of, of, um, you know, popular Iron Maiden songs. Yeah, well said, well said. If I had to kind of complain about this song, just to kind of cap things off, ironically, I don't think it's Bruce's best vocal performance. I think he does a good job. I don't think it's his absolute, the pinnacle Bruce Dickinson, but it's a great song. And it's a song I actually prefer live. I think that they do just a a phenomenal job playing this song live. It's upbeat, it's energetic. um, And it gives way to Infinite Dreams, which... I've got some very strong thoughts about, but I'll let you kind of kick this one off as well. Talk to me about Infinite Dreams, the second track. Um, so this song makes me think of a, a few things, uh, one of which is you, uh, just because I've always known how um, how much you love this song. Um, just It's just uh, you've never been shy about uh, sharing that um, opinion, but... Um, I also think of, and um, this is not going to be the, the 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 last time I mention the, this uh, this band. Um, the the Maiden United version of this song with um, uh, what's his name from uh, Threshold, um, Damien, Damien Wilson, Wilson. Yep. on vocals is unbelievable. And and if you've never heard Maiden United, it's a um, it's all acoustic, right? I don't. I can't say I've yeah, ever. Heard no, it's them. it's like acoustic renditions of of Iron Maiden songs. They're covers, but they're done in their own style with their own flair. Um, and they're phenomenal. This one being no exception. Yeah, Damian Wilson really crushes this this song, um, and, and a very different style singer than Bruce Dickinson. But um, so that's what I think of. It's um, it, it starts out almost like you think it's going to be kind of ballady and quiet and, and mellow and then picks up a little bit more. And then it's it just, it's such a, it, it's a building kind of song. And then when it gets to that chorus, it's just really so, um, so intense. And, and um, I don't know, it's a really great song. I'm sure you're, 
you're going to be able to uh, verbalize it better since I, as best I know, it's probably one of your all time favorite songs by any band. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. This is arguably for, for my opinion, maybe the most underrated Iron Maiden song of all time. And, and I say that to say, I'm not saying it's everyone's favorite song because it's a song that people don't really talk about so much, but the dichotomy between that ballad-like start and just the melody, the beautiful lyrics, and that slow build during the six minutes of, of this song is fantastic. And for my money, I would put it up there with Revelations as probably two of my three favorite Iron Maiden songs. And ironically, there's similarities between both the songs, both in terms of the way they're structured and the way that they kind of change their sound throughout the entire song. It is just absolutely fantastic. And, and you know, there's – I think the instrumental section is great. I love – the um the drum fills that kick off the instrumental section i think there's fantastic bass lines on this it is just i mean for for my money is as good as it gets with this band and and i really didn't want to make it my song of the week but as i listen back i i don't know how i can't make it my song of the week so let's let's let everyone take a a quick listen and we'll we'll jump back into the the rest of the seven sun england's got steve harris So uh, Infinite Dreams, what can I say? It's uh, it's an all-time favorite of mine. I could easily choose a half dozen other tracks on this album, but I'm going to go with my tried and true favorite, which gives way to the first single on the album, which is Can I Play With Madness? Now, I have to admit, I, and I mentioned this in our Patreon group chat earlier this week, for my money, this is a song that I not only played out, but it's probably the one song on the album that I just don't really like anymore it's not a terrible song i'm just so sick so sick of it and it's a song that they play live all the time it's just not my favorite song it's not a bad song i just don't really enjoy it as much as i used to i think the chorus is fine but it's a little repetitive and i've certainly heard better um for me i think the best part of the song are the verses themselves uh but other than the fact that it's short, that's really all it's got going for at this point. Um, there are, I can easily name 50 or 75 songs in their discography that I like more. Um, it's your song of the I week. have a fun little anecdote about this song that, that I don't know if I've ever told you or maybe anyone, but um, when I was uh, in high school, um, the, back in the, the AOL days, um, there was a, uh, a, a girl that I, I had met on via AOL who lived in, 
in Queens who, um, you know, I had a, a little online crush on. And one of the things that, um, that like really stuck with me is that for, you know, you, you would have these AOL profiles and, um, like, was it like marital status or like, or like relationship status or something like that? Well, whatever it was. And her, her status just said, can I play with madness? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, I, I think I need to marry this woman. And I've never even met her before. And, um, I ne- and I never did. Um, but I was just like, I was like, uh, smitten because there was just this, this cute girl from Queens who listened to Halloween and, and made Iron Maiden references in her, in her AOL profile. So, uh, I, whenever I hear this song, I think of that. It's it's kind of a, a funny thing. That is um, that is hysterical. I'm it's one- not my favorite Iron Man song in the world. I remember when I got Best of the Beast, I kind of questioned why this was on there because I felt like compared to the rest of the tro- song choices, this one kind of fell a little bit flat when when in the company of the Trooper and Aces High and Number of the Beast and some of those real heavy hitting Iron Man songs. Um, I don't dislike it at all. I just think it's kind of a middling Iron Maiden song. Um, but I, I don't mind it. And there's some kind of like a, almost like a warm, a warm familiarity to it. Uh, probably cause I've heard it less times than you that it doesn't drive me crazy it's yet. Um, entirely possible. Give it time, yeah. my friend to give it time. But then, um, in, in comparison, the following track, which was the second single, the evil that, that men do, I happen to just like quite a bit more how about same i i couldn't agree more i think that the slow intro is great it has this epic feel from jump street which is kind of interesting for a song that's you know a single and that only clocks in at four and a half minutes um i think that it's low-key one of bruce's best vocal performances i think he does a great job on this um and, and that main riff once it finally kicks in it's just like bam you're off to the races awesome bass lines by steve harris um if I had to knock it, I guess it's the fact that the pre-chorus is kind of repetitive, but the chorus itself, as simple as it is, really catchy. And, and I find myself singing along to it. So it's by far my preference of the two singles, which are kind of jammed in the middle of this album, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, has uh, that kind of uh, Iron Maiden chug that, that they kind of have almost, it, it's like this uh, well-oiled train that just is running down the tracks. Um, just, uh, I, I, just a really solid tune. Um, I, I, I like this song a lot and um, I, I look forward, like I look forward to hearing it when it comes on. I do love that intro. I think it's just so like, so Iron Maiden-y, like just like, it just is like, it has you know that, what it is before it, before it even, yeah, it, it just, ha- it's, it's just very signature Iron Maiden. And, and I, I feel like you hear those first few seconds and you just get excited because you know, something, something good's about to happen. So, um, good song. Uh, definitely. I agree of the three singles, um, kind of, kind of play with madness is, is definitely the weakest of the three. Um, I'll 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 reveal what I think is the strongest when we get to the third one. I have um, a feeling I know what it is because it's cer- I would certainly agree with that, but we'll we'll get there. Um, side B kicks off with what can only be described as another in a long line of epic Iron Maiden, you know, like long songs, and it's the title track. It clocks in at just under ten minutes. This is in the same vein as your Rime of the Ancient Mariner or your Alexander the Great, which, spoiler, 
maybe worth checking out sometime in the near future if you're looking to see them live. Um, it's this. This is just another one of those fantastic long Iron Maiden tracks that, quite frankly, they were very ambitious to pull off because a lot of bands at this time were not putting 10-minute songs on their albums when the album only held, what, like 42 or 43 minutes worth of music to begin with. Um, what are your thoughts on this one? I, I happen to think it's fantastic, um, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. How, do, how does this compare to you with some of their other epics? Uh, I feel like they have completely lost their ability to make a long song this interesting in their newer, like, because they have so many, their newer material is is rife with these long tracks. And to me, like, they just don't have that kind of stay, the the staying power that, you know, you know, a band like Iron Man has a ton of, of songs between, you know, four and six minutes that are just absolutely like banger, memorable, you know, kick-ass tunes, um, many of which are on this album. But this is a song, and, and again, I remember it from when they did the Made in, Uni- uh, Made in England, uh, when they, you know, recreated the Made in England tour. I saw them in, in um, Buffalo at Darien Lake, and I remember them playing this song, and I was, like, blown away. I, I don't know that I was that familiar with it at the time, um, but um, it, it, it's, again, it's another song that really builds, and then and then when it gets to that, that chorus, it's just so um, it's so memorable. It's just a really good song, and it never really drags. And, and we talk about that whole you know nine minute song feels like five minutes or whatever. You know, this is kind of in that in that in that vein. Um, just a, a really good tune and and um, really fun uh, live. Even though many people chose to <laughs> use the bathroom during it, but I, I think that was for the in the interest of missing as few songs as possible. You, well, you only miss half of it because it's a ten minute yeah, song. You, you, you choose the longest song. I, I'm guilty of doing it at Pearl Jam because the longest song is always even flow with all the jamming. It ends up being like a nine to ten minute song, so that's just a uh, it's a cue uh, to just head 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 for the run to the hills, if you will. Um, <laughs> But uh, it, I, it's funny, like that's what I hear the song. I just, I just picture a bunch of uh, long-headed, black t-shirted, ripped jean guys r- running, running towards the bathroom in hopes that they get back in time for the clairvoyant to start. That's really funny. Um, I think the orchestration and the keyboards on this are just absolutely fantastic, and it stands out so much on a track like this. It has like this futuristic feel to it, which I don't know if that's what they were going for, but I think that they, they. Again, it harkens back to some of the other epic songs that are in their catalog. The one thing I would disagree with you on is I don't think it's a great chorus. I just think it like incessantly repeats the title over and over again. But Nick, but Nico's drumming and Bruce's vocals are so perfect together that it almost saves the the chorus. Um, and, and then I love how the middle section just quiets down, just like Rhyme of the Ancient Marrier, Mariner, where it's kind of just the bass guitar, the cymbal and Bruce over the top. And then it obviously um, there's this extended instrumental section that kind of leads you into the end. I, I just think it's well-constructed and you hit the nail on the head. It's just so much more memorable than the songs on Sinjetsu, which I have to revisit, but um, unless Lord has covered you, you the entire to, you album. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> thankfully, I'm not picking that next week. So I've got that going for me. But yes, great song. And then we get into The Prophecy, which is, I guess, the one song you said you didn't know, which I'm not surprised. I think that the other ones are all 
more in the front of, of the Iron Maiden vernacular, if you will. Uh, another underrated classic, though. This starts off slow, and it's almost like a guitar-led ballad. But then it goes into this, like, I, I want to say, like, proggy little piece. I mean, it's only five minutes, but the way that it's constructed, it's kind of odd, but, like, oddly endearing at the same time. It's it's almost got, like, a psychedelic effect with the vocals. Um, and, and it's very experimental in many ways and gradually, gradually speeds up. Uh, which is kind of unexpected. I, I'll be honest. I just wish that they would play a song like this on their tour, like a real deep cut, and just kind of throw it in there. It doesn't have to be a deep cut from a more recent album, but go back into the archives and just add a song like this. I would absolutely like lose my mind if they played a song like this. And and the way it ends, and maybe that's why they don't play it live there's this acoustic outro which is kind of unexpected but a nice touch um maybe that's why they don't play it because it's just too difficult but i would love to hear something like this live yeah uh i I can't disagree with you there this was again the song i did not know going into it and it was a very uh very pleasant surprise i like this song quite a bit um i toyed with the idea of uh making it my song of the week, but um, I'm not going to, but um, it, it was, it was close um, because uh, I just, I think it's really, it's a really good song. It's kind of shocking that you can go that deep into their catalog and they still have these, these epic ass kicking songs. I like this a lot. Um, again, just a really epic kind of build um, to your point um, about, you know, uh, Iron Maiden busting out, you know, more deeper tracks. Um, their their current tour, uh, they they played their first show of the current tour in Slovenia on May twenty eighth, and um, you had mentioned, uh, you know, Alexander the Great. The first time they'd ever played the song live ever um, after all these years. But not only that, um, they played "Caught Somewhere in Time" for the first time since nineteen eighty seven. Uh, Stranger in a Strange Land for the first time since 1999. Um, and uh, Heaven Can Wait for the first time since 2008. Um, and and, uh, and a Prisoner bunch of, and Can I Play With Madness, which they hadn't played since 2014. And so. a bunch of brand new songs that they haven't played off the new album. So they, they did, to their credit, they mixed it up. And, you know, I, I can't complain about them not playing The Prophecy when they're playing Alexander the Great on this tour. I just, I can't complain. Is it... Um, is it like an anniversary of Somewhere in Time? Because they played a lot from that album. They I think they were just songs. celebrating the tour. Kind of like okay. they did with this album when they played five songs off of it. I think it's kind of just celebrate, celebrating that tour. That's cool. I wish more bands did stuff like that. Because a band like Iron Maiden could easily rest on their laurels and come out and play the the Aces High, you know, Trooper. You know, the same like 12, 13, 14 songs people would still go people would still be happy but it would be um, awesome but it's nice but to hear iron Man is just one of those bands where there's a lot of diehard fans and like even me who i'm not a uh you know i'm not quite yet at that know every song kind of thing like i wouldn't be sad to hear a song like the prophecy if i saw them live but um this is going to go with uh, Flash of the Blade from Power Slave <laughs> as one of my favorite new uh, new old discoveries nice. for Iron Maiden. Um, I, I, I really like this song, and, and it now 
completes my uh, my seventh son knowledge base. Uh, now I, I feel that I'm familiar with uh, the entire album. Well, I, I, I like it. We've got two songs left, the first of which was the third single, albeit a live version of The Clairvoyant. Um, why is this your song of the week? Oh, I've always loved this song from the day I bought um, <laughs> The Best of the Beast. Um, just the way that it builds up, it just it, it just starts out with that bass line and then the guitar jumps in uh, and then the, and then it just it kicks off and then it just like it, it goes into like that kind of like quiet. Again, we talk about this a lot, but it's like quiet and then in your face. I mean, it's a little quiet. It's like a Randy Savage interview. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just everything about it is so catchy. Like all the all the the instrumental parts, all of the 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 verses, the chorus. Um, just a just a really great song. I, I really love this, and and I I wanted, like you said, I wanted to hopefully pick something else. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like you know, you, you sometimes you just have your favorite and. It remains your favorite, and, and I think it says something because I've listened to this song a million times, uh, you know, <laughs> over the years. Um, but it never, never really gets old. I think that I think it also it stuck out to me on Best of the Beast. I felt like it didn't feel like some of the other songs that were that, that were on that compilation, and so that it, it kind of stood out in, in having a little bit more, a little bit more of like a proggy side to it, you know, like instead of kind of a straightforward power metal song. And I think that, um, I, 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 that drew, that, that drew me towards it. So, um, yeah, let's give it a listen. It's a, it's a great song and uh, I still love it. And song of the week, the clairvoyant. say this if i hadn't picked infinite dreams this was easily easily number two this is an absolute gem um i love how it starts off with that chunky bass guitar before the the guitars kind of kick in um this if let's just call it for what it is this is really in many ways a power metal classic i mean this is tried and true power metal it has that galloping sound to it during the choruses which we always talk about Beautiful verses, powerful choruses, and what I love, they sound nothing alike. And that to me, that's a big draw because when the when the chorus and the and the verses themselves sound too similar, I don't think that leaves enough to to really hook me, but I'm hooked with this one. There's no question about it. Some phenomenal dueling guitar solos, which is something we don't often talk about, but damn, the guitar solos on this, absolutely fantastic. Great song. And 
again, interesting that it's kind of buried deep on the album because it is, I mean, it is an absolute gem. And then we go into this last track, Only the Good Die Young. I was kind of surprised that you knew this one because it's not, it's definitely not in the top tier of songs. It's probably not even in the B tier. I'd probably say it's a C-level Iron Maiden song, not in terms of quality, but just in terms of notoriety. Uh, you know, I don't know that I ever heard this version of the song before until this week, but I knew the song from the Maiden United cover, uh, courtesy of our friend Caleb, who uh, put it on one of his power hours. Um, I just heard it so many times with, uh, again, with Damian Wilson singing it in an acoustic setting. So this, this version was new to me, this, uh, you know, full blast electric version um definitely faster um but a really solid tune another uh one of those deep cuts that i think would be a welcome addition to uh to a lot to a live iron man concert um maybe would have been better off with the the um the clairvoyant kind of ending things i think that would have been like the high the high note to end things on but it's a it's a solid tune it's it's fine but it's a slightly slightly weak closing tune it's not a bad song it's just for a closing tune it's not what i would have hoped um i think it's a little bit more of the um trademark iron maiden sound than the clairvoyant and maybe they went like went with that for that reason it just kind of has that you know that gate that like yes it kind of like that trooper kind of like you know pace to it it's a um, bit dark like it's i don't know I, it's just like a bit dark to me but i certainly understand your pacing comment it's just leaves me a little underwhelmed uh but it's not a bad song by any means and and you know there's it's interesting because that's it there's eight there's eight songs on this album including the 10 minute epic and then there's some you know some B-sides to some of this stuff like Black Bart Blues, which is a f- really interesting track, and, and a Thin Lizzy cover called Massacre, plus two uh, renditions of older songs that with, featuring Bruce on vocals, specifically Charlotte the Harlot and Prowler. Um, all in all, just a great song with some interest, a great album with some interesting B-sides as well. Any thoughts on those, or did you have a chance to listen to them? Uh, I, I got. I listened to the. Um the two uh re-recordings and the um the black bart blues track um I, I didn't get to listen to the the thin lizzie cover which i would have liked to have heard um the black bart blues kind of shows off iron man does have kind of a goofy side that i don't think almost like a halloween yeah you don't see it a lot on like the on the albums proper but if when you get into you know some of these B sides like Message from Ari and 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 Black Bart yeah. Blues like it, it's you know it kind of shows that they are you know a bunch of goofy Brits and and they like to have a a good time you know when the obviously like when the Python fans I mean there's yeah just like no when the camera stops when the camera stops rolling uh, the the goofballs come out <laughs> um, so yeah it's interesting um, uh, I, I wasn't really too familiar with the the two uh re re-recordings i do not really know the the iron man debut album very well uh similar to, similar to how i did not really know killers very well before we uh d- delved into that but um sounded good i mean i i'm sure um a lot of people were probably clamoring to hear bruce uh take on some of those songs from the the first two albums so um 
I know I always, uh, I remember the first time I heard um, uh, Phantom of the Opera sung by uh, Bruce instead of Paul and, and was very just impressed by hearing a, 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 you know, a professional soundboard recording of that. Um, <clears throat> so I could imagine there was probably a desire for people to hear him uh, do some of these songs, similar to what uh, Michael Kisk did um, on some of the B-sides during the Keeper era, singing some of those, uh, you know, Walls of Jericho era songs like uh, Starlight and Victim of Fate. So uh, pretty cool. Um, just to kind of circle back, uh, you gave um, Power Slave a 8.75 and you gave Killers a 7. Where does Seventh Son of a Seventh Son fall on your uh, one to ten scale compared to those two albums we discussed previously? So I struggled with this going into the week. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen, and in, in my head, in my head, I said to myself, "I think Power Slave is is a little bit better." But I gotta be honest with you, the top of Power Slave is fantastic, but I do think that there's a little bit of um, a little bit of, of dead air in the middle, but still not enough to bring it down. I think there's a lot of good songs there, just not a lot of great songs. I think this album has maybe five or six phenomenal songs. One I'm sick of and one epic, or I should say one at the end, which is a little underwhelming. This is, this is slightly better for me. I'm going to give it a nine. This is, this is right up there with their best album for me. And I, I'll say it's probably my second favorite album overall. When we get to my favorite, I'll 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 mention it so obviously, and and you know what? We'll see if it holds up because it's been a while for that one as well. But I'm going to give it a solid nine. I am with you uh, as far as I think that for me, this album is is a smidge better than Power Slave. I think it's just a little bit more complete. Um, I think it's a little. I think the fact that it's a little more modernized and has some more keyboard and prog type elements make it a little bit more um, my speed. I'm going to give it a, just the slightest bit higher. I gave um, Power Slave an 8.75, same as you. I'm going to give this one an 8.875, so um, just slightly below you, but right, pretty much in the in the ballpark. Um, really good album, and, and I, I can imagine if you have the... Uh, the nostalgia of listening to this album since it came out in 88. I'm sure you probably have it closer to a, a 9.5 or a 10, but um, I, I enjoyed this a lot. I, I, I even uh, with, can I play with madness being kind of the, the low point for me and, and for you, it seems um, it's still a, a pretty good song. All, all things considered. Sure. And to say that about, to say that about the worst song on the album means you probably have a pretty good album on your hands. So, uh, yeah, that that's kind of how I felt. I, I enjoyed this a lot, and I'm really just enjoying getting to know. Um, even though I did know most of the songs on this album, I didn't really know them as Seventh Son of a Seventh Son songs, and now that I do, so it's continuing to build those uh, building blocks in my knowledge of this band. Uh, yeah, when you put it all together, you we'll, realize that the album itself is just spectacular. When you realize all of these songs happen to be on one album, so good job. I look forward to the next one. I'm sure. It is just the third in a series of Maiden albums. Um, but a couple of news items before we get to next week, which I, I think are, are 
noteworthy in a number of ways. Uh, the first, Steve Vai has announced his summer tour. They kicks off July 16th in Tucson, Arizona, hits uh, a number of Canadian dates before coming back to Monterey, California on August 19th. Have you ever seen Steve Vai live or, or Steve Vai live? Never. He is a, you know, I, I never saw him do a solo set, but I saw him on G3 a number of times. Always a fun show. Some really good albums. I, I don't claim to know them all, but every time I listen to him, I'm always impressed by his work. So that's this summer. And another- I wish I had, uh, I wish I had seen David Lee Roth when he was doing his uh, solo tours after he left Van Halen and Steve Vai was playing guitar. I, I never knew I mean, that. Eddie Van Halen's a friggin' legend, but I mean, Going from him to Steve Vai, it's a pretty good company in the in the world of, of guitarists. No question about that. Um, very interesting. Uh, another band that has announced a slew of North American tour dates, and that's Guns N' Roses. They're kicking off their tour uh, August 5th with, <laughs> wait for it, Carrie Underwood as the opening act. And then the tour ends in Vancouver, British Columbia on October 16th. Um, a bunch of different openers on this tour, the Pretenders, Dirty Honey, and Alice in Chains uh, for some of the West Coast dates. Carrie Underwood, man. Do you ever think you'd see that? I mean, I get it in Nashville, but the two shows in Canada, I, 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 I scratch my head. But yet, I think it's kind of cool. I, I, I would love to see the cross-section of fans at, at that show. I mean, that's got to be something else. Um Personally, I would probably prefer to see the um, the, the Alice in Chains oh, for sure. opener. Although I do really like the Pretenders. I'm not familiar with the um, with the, what was the other band? Dirty um, Honey. Yeah, I'm not familiar with them at all. Um, Mud Honey, yes. Dirty Honey, not so much. <laughs> Interesting tour package, to say the least. And lastly, lastly. Uh, New Life from Warman, the brainchild of the ex-children of Bowden keyboard player Johnny Warman. Uh, they're coming out with a new album in August called Here for None. Really, really interesting. This is a band that um, we have not talked about on the show, but it's really just, again, like the kind of the progeny of that children of Bowden scene from the you know late 90s, early 2000s. Were you a fan of these guys? I feel like you. this would be right up your alley. Keyboard-based heavy power metal. Yeah, they were... Um... I can't say like any one album stuck out, but there were definitely tracks that um, I really enjoyed. Uh, particularly, and, and I, I'm going to look this up just so I don't um, I don't miss uh, m- misspeak here. But I, I, I believe there was um, so they they had done some some cool uh, some cool covers. Um, yeah, they do covers of uh, Separate Ways by Journey, Somebody's Watching Me. Um, I, 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 did, I did kind of enjoy this band. Um, I, I think I have all their albums, but um, don't really remember them that well. But um, You have to go back and visit one of those. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan of, of Bodum, and this kind of takes away that, um, you know, that the, de- the death vocal part of it, which I think actually is kind of more of a win for me. Um, so yeah, um, I think, yeah, this would be something interesting to discuss. Uh, I always find it fascinating that Yanni, Yanni Werman was the first choice for the master plan 
keyboard player yes. uh, bef- before they became uh, a full-time band and he couldn't commit to them. So I, I always, I always think of him, but um, yeah, first, first album in uh, nine years. Um, I, I, you know, I missed the last album. Uh, I do not have that first of the five elements, um, which was their fifth album. I uh, just missed that one completely. That one came out in, 2014. Um, I don't even know to, if I've heard that myself. I I know more of the older stuff, so yeah, to unless check it's out. like a compilation or something. I just am. Uh, I had not heard of that. So, well, very interesting. Uh, and next week, next week, where I guess it's my choice, right? If I'm not mistaken. So I, I've got something that has been kind of I don't know how to explain this. It's been like discussed sort of on the show before and that's a band and an album that has been on some polls that we had put on our metal exchanges facebook group and tried to get some people uh their feedback and it's a it's an album that never seems to win so the hell with it i'm picking it because i want to listen to it and i want to talk about it the album is uh called underworld it is the second studio album by adagio and it was released 20 years ago, and I thought, what better time than to celebrate than an album which came out 20 years ago, July 23rd, 2003. How familiar are you with Adagio? Because this is uh, this is neoclassical prog metal, which is not something I don't think we've talked about much on this show. Uh, I'm not that familiar with it. Uh, the song Chosen I'm very familiar with, and then it kind of falls off for me, and I've always known this uh, this uh, album to be really good based on what other people have told me and and uh, I actually did listen to it already uh, earlier today and uh, I think that um, I'm gonna have a lot of positive things to say about it but um, I may ruin this album for you or make your day in one fell swoop depending on uh, your thoughts but um I can't look at the cover of this album and not just see Donald Trump asleep on his couch. Wow. I (laughs) have never, ever thought about that before. And I think I'm going to switch my album for next week. I think I'm going to talk about bandit. No. Um, Wow. Um, that 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 is an eye opener and eye closer all at the same time. So good job for that. Uh, Thank you. Um, I may have just ruined this album for a lot of people or made it that made them like it even more. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely having some effects on, on somebody, but very interesting. I think that's actually really hysterical and I never saw that before and I hope to never see it again. So that being said, Adagio's underworld next week. Uh, This has been fun. In case you needed a hint of where the, my berserk mind goes sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing more about the album and less about the cover when we talk about it. But if you haven't, uh, if you hadn't had a chance, please check out our Patreon page. Uh, it's in the comments below. Obviously, uh, you know, join us on our social media. Give us a like and a follow. We appreciate the support and we will come back to you next week with some French neoclassical prog metal. You know, how that easily rolls off the tongue. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to you explaining to me how David Reedman became the vocalist of this French band. <laughs> we will get there in due time, my friend. Enjoy the night. I look forward to uh, catching up with you soon. Yes, and um, we should point out that, um, I don't know, did we mention this on the last episode? But uh, Correct me if, if we did, but um, we there's going to be a little bit of um, restructuring, I think, with the 
Patreon and um, nothing to be concerned with. If anything, you'll just uh, probably end up with more than what you originally signed up for, but we're trying to expand some of the features to more people. So um, keep an eye out for that. Um, it'll probably be in the near future, but we, we, we kind of wanted to get uh, more people you know, involved in, in some of our you know, our Zoom chats every month and have more people be able to have uh, access to the bonus episodes. So um, we're working on it. Uh, but uh, stay tuned if you're um, if you're in one of those five or uh, ten or twenty dollar tiers, you could probably expect um, some additional perks coming your way. Um, kind of our way of saying thank you, but also our way of saying we want um, to to get get more people access to some of the the bonus features. So well just said. wanted to well throw said. that out there. So and we will uh, come back with that and more next week. Enjoy, enjoy the week, bud. And I will catch up with you soon. And also I just want to mention before we go, just sure. to tie this whole thing together. Um, War men have a greatest <laughs> hits album called the evil that war men do. So <laughs> I couldn't have made that up if I tried. So um, yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to sign off before mentioning that. That's so. <laughs> uh, well placed. Um, I will enjoy and laugh myself to sleep between that and the Adagio album cover. Which, wow, what a world! Enjoy, my friend. I will talk to you soon. Take care, buddy. <laughs>